Um, but no, you don't need to look into the camera. Okay. Unless you want to, like, unless you really, really want to make a point and you're like, <laughs> no, you don't sure. have to. I don't anticipate that. <laughs> okay. Uh, my oh my gosh. We're all good. I didn't know there was a God mic. Hi, um, welcome to Can't Unread, the podcast about the texts and ideas that change us. Um, today I am joined by a fellow philosophy student and general cool person, Sarah Rose Ezel, to talk about um, Kwame Anthony Appiah's, did I get the right or is it Appiah? I think Appiah, yeah. Appiah's article, um, What Will Future Generations Condemn Us For? Hi, Sarah Rose. How are you? Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, you're um, welcome. I'm doing pretty well. I'm a little nervous, but I'm excited. That's okay. I'm the host, and I'm also nervous. It's totally <laughs> fine. Um, so, yes, we are in a semi-ethics-based class together right now. Yes. And this article that uh, we picked, or that you specifically picked, that I thought was really cool, is about ethics. Um, and before we get into it, I just wanted to ask you, what interests you about ethics in general? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I think when I was a freshman and I was kind of like getting into philosophy, mm -hmm. um, I thought it was super interesting, but I had a hard time with all the super conceptual stuff because I thought it was fascinating, but I couldn't really figure out how to relate it to like my life or to sort of general like current events or anything that's happening. Um, and then I think I read this in Robin Zabrowski's Intro to Philosophy class. Um, and I think it might have been the first ethics related text that we covered um, <laughs> um and i just thought it was really fascinating and i think as i've like taken more ethics and like just gotten a little more familiar with it um it's probably my favorite part of philosophy because i think mm -hmm. it's something that i thought about a lot before i ever took any philosophy or any ethics um without like kind of recognizing that i was thinking about ethics um, because it's right. just such a part of everyone's everyday life and I think everyone thinks about it without actually necessarily having the formal frameworks um, so reading about it and learning about it more has been really interesting yeah that makes a lot of sense and um, I've had some similar thoughts I think it's interesting that when you start to get into ethics even though it feels the most applicable at least for me there's kind of this learning curve I'm like wait this doesn't actually make that much sense definitely um, <laughs> Definitely. And like, I've really struggled with some of the intuitive aspects of ethics because, like, mm -hmm. sort of unlike other parts of philosophy, um, although there's some similarities, a lot of ethics arguments will, will start with like a premise that's yeah. just like, we believe this, you know? Yes. It's wrong to kill a person. But, mm -hmm. you know, that's a, kind of an extreme example that most people would agree with, I would hope. Right, um, right. And then building off of those intuitive premises, uh -huh. you start to make a particular argument. And right. one of the things that I've really struggled with in ethics is if you don't agree with those premises, right. the argument just kind of doesn't work. Um, exactly. But I've honestly kind of come to terms with it because I think it's, you know, really fascinating how important intuition is in mm -hmm. morality mm -hmm. um, and how we have to accept that, like, a lot of our reasoning is kind of faith-based and then we um, work off of those common conceptions and make an argument. So, yeah, it's, like, cool and bad. Yes, um, exactly. Anyway, so, yeah, um, Apia, 
Yeah. Yes. Apia. But Apia, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, I think. I'm not the authority, but yes. Yeah, so we were yeah. looking for a pronunciation of his name, and it took us, like, we both researched this individually and, and couldn't find it. Anyway, yes. um, yeah. but yeah. Um, he So Apia, if you listen to this for some reason, which would be really cool, we hope we got it right. <laughs> he wants to pin down what, as he says directly, future generations will condemn us for. Mm. Um, practices that seem standard now, but that we'll look back on as having been um, wrong or obviously wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, And what interested you about this specific article? You talked a little bit about how you felt like it was really applicable, but is there anything else? Um, Yeah, that's kind of it. I think this is something that I had kind of thought about, not quite in these terms before, um, but like just thinking about the concept of like moral progress, um, uh, sort of telling a progress narrative. um, And that's something I had thought about before and I definitely I think this article is really approachable in that it just lays out the like three criteria really blatantly and then it's also something that I think it's really easy to like run through practices that we engage in now and like see whether they apply yeah um which kind of leads into like one of the like not problems I have with the article but like one of the things that I kind of like have in mind when I think about it is that the three criteria are like pretty broad. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a lot of practices you could apply them to that people would have, there's like room for dispute about whether they apply to a lot of practices we engage in now. Yeah, for sure. So let's go yeah. over those criteria. Yes. <laughs> um, the criteria are, um, and I will be semi-quoting directly here. Um, the first one is people have already heard the arguments against the practice. Instead of kind of popping up once and then disappearing, um, generally he uh, thinks that with things that are very strictly wrong, the arguments are kind of, it's like they sort of emerge cyclically. They, they come about, people argue against them, and then they come about again in, in vaguely different ways. Um, the second criterion, I think that's the single uh, singular of criteria, is that um, defenders of the custom tend not to offer moral counter-arguments, but instead invoke tradition, human human nature, or necessity. Of course, I think it's interesting that he automatically discounts uh, tradition, human nature, and necessity as not being inherently moral. Yes. Um, but the example he gives that I think is pretty strong is just like, we've always had slaves. How could we grow cotton without them? Um, you know, that's not a moral argument. It's a shitty argument in, in basically all ways. Um, and, um, yeah, it, it basically has nothing to do with the ethics. It's just this kind of short-sighted uh, view of necessity. The very last criterion is that, quote, supporters engage in what one might call strategic ignorance. I thought this was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Avoiding truths that might force them to face the evils in which they're complicit. In general, do you feel like you agree with these criteria? I think so, yeah. Um, I think mm-hmm. I do agree with the criteria and I think that like sort of a wall that I come up against is something he mentions which is that it's really hard to tell in real time um, what is just a disputed practice and what is something that will be pretty much universally condemned in the future yeah and that's like Um, so painful like I hate thinking about like yeah yeah because I feel like there are so many issues right now that like I personally think that those things apply to but someone on the opposite side of the political spectrum could say could kind of have opposite opinions. Yeah. Um, And so I think, like, he he kind of avoids that um, when he talks about, like, I think 
the criterion that supporters of the practice use non-moral defenses is really mm-hmm. strong because that kind of sidesteps that a little bit. Yeah. Um, I have mixed feelings about this strategic ignorance ar- um, argument because mm-hmm. I feel like, especially from a political standpoint, there's kind of just like facts and then other facts. Now, obviously, mm-hmm. I believe that the facts on my side are the correct ones. Right. Um, but straight up strategic ignorance uh, or that term, I think, doesn't always lend itself to some of the political complexity. Not necessarily that there's an argument for moderation to be made, right. but the people on different sides of the political spectrum are really fed different information. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, even if you're throwing uh, words, even if you're trying to think critically, mm-hmm. um, it's really hard to get the right information um mm-hmm. so i think that you know what he might call strategic ignorance might be you know your bias or my bias mm-hmm. toward a uh, certain uh, things that we believe are true you know coupled with our intuitions and um what we've been taught and really not knowing mm-hmm. what's accurate and i think like part of what i think he might even give this specific example he might be referring also to like more blatant like one of the examples he gives for one of the practices that he predicts will be condemned is um, the industrial meat production. Right. Um, and that, like, as a meat eater, like, if I see, like, a like a PETA video come up on my Facebook or whatever that shows piglets being stuffed into some terrible confinement, I don't know, situation, yeah. I scroll right past. Like, right. that's something that, like... That's definitely a form of strategic ignorance that I, like myself, and I think a lot of other people engage in, at least yeah. in those ways. But I think you're right, like the um, kind of the uh, not being able to get unbiased news, I just don't think mm-hmm. it's available yeah. at all, basically. Yeah, I was looking forward to talking about the meat thing, because I think that your self-awareness there is, is kind of commendable, um, that you're straight up saying, like, <laughs> hey, like, I do ignore this, and I think yeah. that... Um, a, a lot of people don't do that. Um, yeah. I was. We are skipping a little bit ahead in the questions here, yeah, so we no, can go back. So, yeah. Um, but I know that you're also writing uh, your paper about uh, the ethics of meat eating, and you don't yes. need to specifically talk yeah. about like Kant and Korsgaard for this episode. Right. But uh, do you think you could talk a little bit more about what interests you about that specific issue and like your own like moral issues with it and and how you feel about it? Because I for think sure. we all have one of those issues. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I think I took. My sophomore year, I took environmental ethics uh, with Professor Chris Frakes, and then I took food ethics with her the next semester. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of meat eating is kind of an unavoidable topic in both of those classes, um, sort of in environmental ethics from the angle of um, treatment of animals, um, treatment of uh, people who work to produce uh, like factory farmed meat. Um, treatment of the environment in general um and there are a lot of angles to approach it from um and i think like my sophomore year that's when i had kind of an ethical like dilemma about my yeah. own like meat eating I the think, reckoning yeah it was the reckoning a little bit um and i think i was like there were like three people in that class maybe out of like 20 who who ate meat mm-hmm. um and huh. i kind of was like oh shit like or oh no, no like you're good yeah um and so I had like a really hard time with that and I tried to go vegetarian and I just, I don't know, I, my yeah. backbone was not strong enough. It didn't happen for me. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that that's something that I've kind of had to reconcile with because right. I'm, 
I, I know that from pretty much every ethical standpoint, the strongest argument to be made in regards to meat eating is that it's unethical. Yeah. Um, and it's still something I do. Like not, I, I definitely actually, I have cut down how much meat I eat since that, mm-hmm. uh, since I took those classes, but I still do eat meat and I still enjoy it. Um, right. And I, yeah, so I guess that is kind of, that relates in an interesting way because I kind of, by taking those classes, I wasn't really able to like, engage in the same like strategic ignorance like I kind of took the blinds down and then I still yeah kept doing it um I think that's um no I think that's super interesting and I think that like that's something that I struggle with with ethics Mm -hmm. uh, that oftentimes and you know this is obviously not just you it's everybody I've done the same thing you will see a very good argument Mm -hmm. and logically agree with it and Mm -hmm. not do the thing yes um so yeah I think that's called acrosia, Matt was telling acrosia. us. Oh, weakness yeah. of the will. Yes. Weakness of the will, yeah. yeah. Yes. I love how there are these, um, you know, uh, and I, I believe that's Greek. Yes, that's Greek. I think so, yeah. Um, there are these yeah. wonderful terms for these, you know, the yeah. horrible things that people do, like yeah. acrosia. Yes. I'm a failure. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, no, I think about that so much because I'm, I've, I, I, I basically feel the same way about veganism. I, I was sure. raised vegetarian, so it's not difficult for me, but I, mm-hmm. I think I should be vegan and I am not. Um, yeah. And yeah, I, I struggle yeah. with that basically because I wonder if, you know, if everyone had a very good and clear argument that they were presented with mm-hmm. to not do something, mm-hmm. I don't know if they would. And that's something I struggle with so much with ethics. I think that's definitely true. And like, yeah. I kind of, when I'm like justifying meat eating to myself, I kind of, I'm like, oh, well, like it, I was like in Beloit in the winter and I was really hungry and that like I, the tofu yeah. at Commons was really badly prepared. Oh, and then I'm like, oh, okay, I'm like so leaning on that like non-moral argument as a justification. Yeah. Um, um, I do which, think it, yeah, yeah it, it does bring up the issue of, you know, to what extent do we have a moral responsibility to engage or not engage in certain behaviors? Because mm-hmm. like the semi-cynic, but also weirdly empathetic part of me says that humans are flawed yeah. and that that hypocrisy is okay and as long as we you know pick some battles um sure. we'll be better as a species and you can't expect people to be um as morally astute as we perhaps would would like them to be i don't know if, sure. if astute the, is the right word upright or whatever mm-hmm. yeah um, yeah that sounds kind of like a bit of a utilitarian leaning mm framework maybe yeah i could see that i wasn't thinking about that specifically but um yeah i think you could look at a way to like maximize the good that people do while still being forgiving while allowing Um, for like uh, other right yeah and you could try to like create a moral framework with particular rules that essentially everyone could get behind because it allows for those flaws and maybe that would be better than laying out the ideal yeah Right. right yeah yeah i think definitely a problem i have with ethics is that a lot of like Kantianism in its purest form um, kind of relies a lot on like moral purity um, and there's no room for intuition or mistakes or Mm -hmm. like anything like that. And I think that turns a lot of people away. Yeah. And I think it does kind of make ethics like appear or come off as like some sort of like like an ideal sort of like an ideal that like you can kind of aspire to, but like Mm -hmm it's not something you can really put into practice in your everyday life super easily. Not to put you on the spot, but do you think you could give like a brief overview of Kantianism for people who don't know what it is? Um, So Kant, his, his big thing was the categorical imperative. 
um, which is the idea that you can't uh, grant yourself permission to do things that you would not uh, universally agree are okay. So like you can't decide it's okay for you to steal if you can't agree that it's okay then if everyone in the world steals. Um, And Kant cares a lot more about um, intention uh, than outcome, I guess. Um, And so his whole thing is that you have to do good in order to do good, not to get anything else out of it, Mm -hmm. not for any further end. Yeah. Yeah. So the specific examples that Apia gave of things that would be condemned by future generations, which first Mm -hmm. of all, I think is interesting because we're almost in that future generation since this was written, uh, I think about a decade or 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, Were uh, the prison system industrialized meat production, which we obviously just uh, had a cool discussion about, um, the institutionalized elderly, and the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, I was wondering if you had any thoughts on those other examples, or if you thought that um, maybe opinion on these has changed since the article was published. Sure, yeah. Um, I think to address the second question, if mm-hmm. I think opinion has changed, that's kind of hard for me to answer because 10 years ago I was... 11 right. so i wasn't like hugely politically or socially aware um so right. like i think i would be inclined to say yes because like in the last 10 years has kind of been when i've been becoming aware of social issues and mm-hmm. these t- types of things um but for someone who was like fully fledged t- a decade <laughs> ago fledged, yeah. like I, they might have a very different answer. Um, right. Yeah. But well, that represents your progress, even if it doesn't represent yeah. <laughs> the progress of humanity. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think they're really good examples. But I also think something that it doesn't pay a ton of attention to is the fact that like our prison system and the environment and um, uh, like factory farming are all huge and very necessary parts of capitalism right yeah um, I have that and same so thought. in order for future generations to widely condemn these things we're going to mm-hmm. need to strongly move away from capitalism um, yeah there's sort of this implication so, that um individuals can just change this and that would be the opposite of uh, right. or that would be a proof of condemnation but yes go on right so yeah i mean it's kind of a and there's a lot of work that needs to be done there. And of course, like I'm saying that as someone who kind of has inclinations towards moving away from capitalism, um, yeah. but someone who is benefiting from all these things um, and for whom like capitalism is a system that really works, really um, floats their boat, really floats their boat. <laughs> like they would disagree and they might like on the face of it say, yeah, factory farming is bad. But when it comes down to it, how else would we produce meat um, in the same way where it reaches so many people at such a low price and people like a few people at the top benefit so highly from it. Right. Um, And the same is with the prison system. Like prison labor is a huge part of the economy. Um, And I think there are going to be like big changes that need to happen in order for future generations to like strongly condemn these things as much as we now condemn like the examples he's giving are 